Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. We might ask why. Because the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus Christ tonight. Our prayer for you this hour, as it has been for all of our services, is that God might work in such a way in your life that your fears, if you have them, will be overcome. And your hopes, if you need it, and we really do all need hope, will be transfused so that because you were here tonight, you'll have a richer Christmas. We're very glad you're here. I liked your applause right at the beginning. That means that you're with it. When we were praying tonight, we really said we want this hour to have that element of fun as well as worship. Worship can be fun. I want you to enjoy yourself. We're so glad you went to the effort to come. It will be worth it if you prepare your heart and allow the Spirit of God to open it for the message he has for you this evening. We're going to focus on, again on that wonderful miracle, the birth of our Savior. That's a story that's really never fully told or ever fully understood. We hope you'll at least receive another chapter in understanding tonight. With a great sense of expectancy, then, we welcome you to a service where God always seems to do miracles. And I guess that's why, traditionally, we call it the loveliest night of the year.
God this evening, we joyfully and gratefully sing your praises. We thank you for the miracle of the birth of your Son, Jesus. We remember tonight that through your Son we have been given a hope that will last for eternity. Bless then, O God, our worship as we acknowledge you as the Lord of joy, hope, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now as you're seated, please turn to one another and give the peace and warmth and joy of this season as Walt is about to say something to you. Oh, okay. <laughs>
Jesus came to bring us light. That's the good news and hope of Christmas. So let's read responsibly of this light. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter.
Let's continue our celebration of Christmas as we read responsively about this promise of hope we find in Psalms. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. I said to God, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go around mourning, oppressed? O Lord, do not forsake me. Come near to me, O my God. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them be my delight. O God, my God, I will put my hope in you. I will yet praise you, my Savior and my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. Thank you. 
be seated. You guys did great. <laughs> you know, it's such a joy for us to be able to provide an environment where we can give you a song. A lot of people have lost their songs, and it's so good to come here and have that hope transfused. Just two things before our message. First of all, we're aware sometimes at Christmas people are carrying some extra, extra heavy burdens, things that are too heavy to carry alone. We have prayer cards there in the pews that you can put in the offering plate, and if you have a request, we have a group of people who will pray for you tonight and all week long. That's our ministry to you if that uh, should be your need this evening. Maybe you um, caught the article in the Chronicle this week where they were doing a poll sampling of people in their response to Christmas, and uh, the impressive part of that poll to me was that 64% of the people in the Bay Area polled said they believe in the basic ingredients of the Christmas story, the wise men, the shepherds, the virgin birth, the Christ child, etc. And then I had to ask myself, well, what does that mean when we say we believe in the facts of Christmas? And it occurred to me that one of the things we could do tonight is to try to build a bridge from the facts as we know them and perhaps have known them since childhood to where we are and our needs and to find if there's really any relevance between Christmas and us and our needs tonight. And particularly for those of you who are on a spiritual journey searching for God, trying to get reconnected with God, I'd like to believe in the next few moments that perhaps uh, the Lord might speak right to your heart and build this bridge because Christmas joy is for everyone and we want you to share it. Let's bow in prayer. Our Lord, we're so grateful tonight that you have called us together. It seems there's something very normal, very human about coming together as one offering our praise, our worship to you. Now we ask for that miracle that you performed so many times, and that is to take a human word and make it a divine word through your spirit that can be heard by each person individually. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Reflecting on what we could give you as a valuable gift tonight, I believe one of the greatest needs for many of us this Christmas is to receive a transfusion of hope. Hope in God, the Bible calls, very uh, rightly so, the anchor of our soul. We need an anchor to live in our kind of world. And for a few moments, I want us to think then about how Christmas might be related to you re either stimulating your hope, finding hope, reigniting hope, because without it, we can't really be fully human beings or experience the real joy of Christmas. So first, I want to define Christmas hope, and I want to tell you why we Christians believe it. A Christian's hope or our optimism about the present and the future is rooted not in wishful thinking, but in the fact that God has already faithfully fulfilled his promises both in the Bible in the past and in our personal experience. The birth of Jesus, his crucifixion, his resurrection are, are all part of a story that began at the very beginning in Genesis where God at the very beginning wanted to provide a way for his wayward rebellious, sinful children to get back to him, to reconnect and become his family. And the story of Christmas is part of that ultimate plan of God for history. And for that reason, as we look into it, we're going to find that it provides hope for those who believe. In the movie Forrest Gump, one of its most engaging lines was said by Mama Gump to Forrest, if you remember, life is like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. Great line, but happily, Mama Gump was really wrong in her assumption that fate or luck control our lives. For Christians, that would be bad news. 
Christmas assures believers that not fate, but a loving God is in charge of what happens to the world and is in charge of what and control of what's happening to us individually in our life tonight. We're not abandoned. We're not just thrust out as lifeless creatures in space governed by fate. We are children of God made in his image and valued infinitely by him. A common question from those on a spiritual search for God might be something like this, and maybe this question's on your heart tonight, and it's okay if it is. How can thinking, sophisticated people really believe there's a God who is personally involved in my life, knows me by name, has a plan for my life? Well, one answer we Christians offer is we trust God for the future because of his faithfulness in keeping his promises in the past. We don't believe Freud was right who just said God's the product of our wishful thinking. God's there because we wanted him to be there. He's there because he's revealed himself to us through his answers to our prayers, his faithfulness. When Matthew was writing the story of the birth of Jesus, like any good Jew of the time, he began not with Bethlehem and the cradle, but if you read the story carefully, it really begins with a genealogy listing a very motley crew of people who from the very beginning of time God used to fulfill his promise to the Jews that a Messiah or a Savior would come who would complete this process of reuniting his wayward children back to God. Now just look at the genealogy of Jesus as Max Lucado comments. It begins with Abraham who once lied like Pinocchio just to save his neck. Jacob was slicker than a Las Vegas card shark. Judah frequented with prostitutes. Bathsheba bathed in questionable places. David took her as his wife. Rahab was a harlot. Manasseh sacrificed his own children to a foreign god. Crooks, embezzlers, sinners. So reads the list of Jesus' not-so-great grandparents. Why is this important? Because it tells us that from the beginning, God has used very ordinary, flawed people to do extraordinary things through whom he fulfilled his promises in the past. And you know what? He still uses flawed people, flawed preachers, flawed churches to fulfill his promises and to reach out to you in the present. And the greatest thing is that God has never broken a promise to his children. And that kind of confidence gives us hope for our future. That's what we believers root our hope in. No matter how unworthy we feel, because we know we're not worthy of his love, or how overwhelming life's battles might be right now, and for some of us, our tests, faith is being tested to the breaking point. The last name in Matthew's genealogy is Jesus. No more names are listed and no more are needed because Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan to save us. He's our Savior. And the devil and, the, and death, defeated foes that we Christians believe in, they're very real, but for those of who have accepted Jesus as Lord, they're no longer enemies. God promises to believers this wonderful source of hope, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, my plans for you are good and not evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. That's, what, that's our anchor tonight of our souls. This hope Jesus offers, particularly to those this Christmas who are weary and heavy laden and fearful and lonely and brokenhearted, skeptical, cynical, and here's the promise. In the world, you're going to have trouble, Jesus said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want to offer a personal conviction tonight, and I don't mean this by manipulation at all. It's just a personal belief on my part, and that is I believe no one is here by chance tonight. Maybe you came kicking and screaming. Maybe you came to be polite to a friend who asked you. I need to tell you that I believe God brought you here 
Because, you know, through the years, I've witnessed God do very surprising, unexpected things on Christmas Eve. Miracles. Even for those who come with skeptical hearts, for those who come with heavy hearts. In fact, I've observed that most people come to faith in Christ, not through good times and blessings, but through difficult times that break us and shatter our pride and expose our vulnerability and make us realize we're not self-sufficient, that we need a God. Sometimes these circumstances that feel like the very worst upon reflection later prove to be the hand of God opening our stubborn eyes to our need for our Savior, which is the greatest need any human being has. So this Christmas Eve, you might be feel, feel that you're being tested to the breaking point. Perhaps your faith is being challenged until it just doesn't work anymore. And maybe you're here tonight ready to give up on God. And you know, God can handle that. He doesn't run away. And the unexpected miracle I pray for you is that somehow, because you're here through something in this service, you're going to receive a transfusion of new hope that God is real and he cares for you, and somehow he's engineering your circumstances, and, and he's going to forge good out of what now appears to be hopeless and impossible. That's hope. And our text says this hope is an anchor of our soul. Assurance God has not abandoned us acts like an, anger that, uh, like an anchor that helps you even tonight to wait through the darkness until you can see again. And it's a hope even when God doesn't offer any answers for your questions and the silence is agonizing. It's an anchor that stabilizes our hearts and minds during those raging storms that we don't ever think are, are going to stop and sometimes they threaten to sink our ship. Why are we so hopeful? Because Christmas means we serve a God who makes Easter mornings out of Good Fridays. That's our God. He's that great. He's that powerful. And he wants you to know that tonight. Now, at this point, I need to make something very clear. Just knowing the facts of Christmas and believing them don't quite cut it. 64% of the people in the Bay Area believe the story of Christmas. What we really need to talk about is what have we done with Jesus Christ? You see, Christmas hope is a gift of God that goes to Christians. And Christians are those who believe God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for our sins that we might live with him forever. That's the Christmas message. I visited a small cathedral outside Bethlehem, which marks the supposed birthplace of Jesus some years ago. It's a great big church, but in back of the altar up in front of the church, you walk around it and you go into the actual cave that's the supposed birthplace of Jesus. And it's a very small cave lit by many lamps. And I remember when my wife and I visited this spot, we were impressed by how ordinary and tiny it was. And yet this was the birthplace of our Savior. And I thought, how like God. But not without significance, there's a star embedded in the floor that highlights the very place where the birth took place. And there's one stipulation when you visit that historic site. You have to stoop to get into the cave. The door is so low, you can't go in standing up. And I thought, what a perfect symbol, because tonight, if you're searching for hope, if you're trying to get reconnected with God, I know you can find it through Jesus Christ, but the one stipulation is you have to bow in faith before his claims. He mandates that we believe that he is who he claims to be, the Son of God, who came here to die on the cross for our sins so we wouldn't have to die for our sins. And he asks us to make a personal choice to receive Jesus, not as a figure of history, not as part of a beautiful Christmas story, but as a savior who we need and want to relate to and know as a friend. And he demands that we admit our sin and turn from it 
and accept God's forgiveness and grace, which is amazing, but free. And then we ask us to trust that now we're a child of God, that we don't deserve it, and we have an eternal destiny in heaven. That's the gospel. That's the story of Christmas. A woman came to me after worship recently commenting on how hesitant people are to respond to this gift that God offers to people. He, she works with terminally ill people. She's in a hospice program, and this experience has taught her a very valuable lesson. Knowing that one is terminally ill doesn't seem to make that person any more open to receiving the gospel and the hope of eternal life. It's very interesting, and I guess the point is a person can't cram for finals. We can't take a crash course on how to get to heaven. You see what's so critical about Christmas Eve and coming here and hearing the Christmas story is that every time we hear it, we make a choice. And as the, the years pass and the older we get, those choices become set in cement. And that's how people find God and stay with Him forever. And that's how people get separated from God and stay away from Him forever. God doesn't will that anybody be separated from Him. He's done everything He can to bring every child to Him. But some of us just choose to stay separated. And that choice gets easier as we get older. In contrast, I was chatting with one of our members who has only a short time to live. And I was impressed by her peace and the confidence she has as she walks through the valley of death. She only has a few days. And she has hope beyond the grave. She has Christmas hope. She knows where she's going and she says, I know Jesus is walking with me. Tonight I want to say it's the passion of my heart, the heart of this very church, that not one of you who've come here will let another Christmas Eve pass without accepting this gift of God, knowing Jesus as your Savior. I want to ask you a question. I believe it's one of the most significant questions we answer in this life because we Christians believe your eternal destiny will depend on your answer. It's this. Among all the other agendas and priorities filling your thoughts tonight, is there room in your heart for the most important one of all? Is there room in your heart for Jesus? I want us to take a few moments and, and reflect on, on this issue. And I believe the Spirit of God will work in these moments as I ask you now to bow in prayer with me. Lord Jesus, so many things and stresses and agendas are pushing into our minds and hearts right now. And we need your help. We need your help to overcome our doubts, our cynicism, to sort out the important from the non-negotiable and to distinguish between the things of this world that will pass away from the issues that will follow us into eternity. Give us grace to make room in our hearts for you, Lord Jesus. In the crowd with its confusion, there were two from Galilee, a carpenter from Nazareth, and a to be but no
I told you I don't think anybody's here by chance tonight. If you feel God has touched your heart, I want to give you an invitation to respond to God's gift by making a decision to becoming a Christian tonight. If it's your desire to become a follower of Jesus, God's made it so clear how we do it. I want to take one verse of scripture and simply put a personal pronoun on it. This is what he tells us to do if we'd like to accept his gift. To say, for God so loved me, he gave his only begotten son. I sh that I should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn me, but that through him I might be saved. God came to us because we wouldn't go to him. And he went to the cross to show us there is nothing he won't do to woo us back to himself and to forgive us and to defeat death and give us a chance to live with him forever. The only stipulation is that we have to bow before his claims and accept the gift of salvation through faith. It's a gift. And I just encourage you tonight to unwrap it, take it, personalize it. And if that should be your inclination, I want to close now with a prayer, which if it's your desire, I want you to pray in your heart this prayer as I pray it up here. Let's bow in prayer together. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to believe that you died for my sins. I don't understand all this content, but I want to believe that you're alive and that you'll come again to receive me into heaven. And I accept your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I want to become a Christian. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, my Lord. Amen. Something so simple, so profound. But if you prayed that prayer, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he or she who believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. And indeed, if this is the night when you made that decision, it will be the holiest night of the year.
as the ushers come forward to receive our gifts, our gifts of gratitude for the coming of Christ, let us continue to worship and praise and glorify him.
come now when we light the candles of Christmas. A candle is a symbol that can mean many things. But tonight our prayer is that whatever else it might mean in your heart, that as we light it tonight, it might mean that God has so touched you that you've had a transfusion of hope this Christmas. Jesus is the light of the world. Behold, 
the very heart of God in Jesus. Where his light shines, there is no darkness. Go in his light and his peace and his love. God bless you.